Warning. The program you're about to hear is absolutely filthy and thoroughly disgusting. Furthermore, listening to it will immediately turn you into a bottom. Bottom. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Watch me shove this beer can up my ass. I'm proud to declare the Adam Sank Show and his ass open to the wind. Ass open to the wind. This is fuckery. <laughs> this is all fuckery. <laughs> fuckery, fuckery, fuckery. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... Give a warm round of applause to my friend and yours, Adam Sank. Yes, welcome to the Adam Sank Show, bitches. We are not live, but this is a brand new episode. If you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern, I'm yelling over the music, on Saturday, March 26th, in the year 2022 at dnrstudios.com and the DNR Cast app. Those are the only places you can hear this fucking podcast throughout the week that it first airs. If you listen somewhere else, please leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. And also a reminder... If you have left us a review on Apple Podcasts, check to see if it's actually there, because a lot of them are not. Thank you. And if it's not, then leave another one. You know what to do. Like the Facebook page, download the comedy albums, get your ass merch at adamsank.com. Remember, you can now call the ass hotline anytime, even when we're not on the air. Leave us a voicemail. We will play it on the air. The number is 804-TALK-ASS. Get vaccinated, stand with Ukraine, and uh, basically... Don't be an asshole. Our guest today is uh, really uh, one of our favorites and someone who hasn't been on in years. That's my fault. Um, he is Adam Feldman. He's the theater editor and critic for Time Out New York. And he's going to be giving us a very bitchy list of the worst musicals since 2000. And there are a lot of them. But first, it's time to introduce my co-host, everyone's favorite chubby chorizo, Steve Cesaro. Hello, everybody. It's so nice to be back. Welcome back, Steve. You know, I think I want to start a challenge because, you know, since I've been here since January, you seem to be getting reviews every week. <laughs> so I feel like the next, I don't know, five to ten people that write a review should specifically mention you. And if they do, I will send them an ass shot. Oh, and Steve's got a big, plump, it delicious is. ass. She does have a juicy booty. It's thank more you. juicier than mine. I was a little jealous. So for oh, thank you. So for all of you listeners that are listening, if you write a review for the next ten, you will get several photos. This is the Steve Cesaro ass challenge, yes. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like it, there's ever an opportunity to Steve's to see Steve's naked ass anywhere <laughs> online. So this is really a rare. And it golden is. opportunity. So uh, I just want to keep those ratings and reviews coming in because my goal is to make sure that we have tons and tons of five-star reviews. Any hole is your goal. It is. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate yeah. your uh, your your um, loyalty to the show. <laughs> also with us is the queen of fuckery, Ms. J.B. Bercy. Hello, J.B. Hi. How, How are you? I'm good. Uh, Andrew, the intern, joins us again. JJ joins us again. We still have a full house. It's going to be even fuller when uh, when Adam Feldman gets here. I don't know that we've ever had this many people in studio at once. We did last week. And, uh, yes, in the first studio when we used to have the interns. <laughs> uh, we once had like a flock of interns yeah. here. That's true. We had too many, frankly. And then, you know, they, since they hired me, they stopped having interns on the weekend. I think Andrew's our first weekend intern that we've had in so long. And he's just here to observe, right? Andrew, yeah. you were here last week when we had David Hernandez on. What did you think of the show? Put your face right up to the mic. Uh, I wasn't here. Yes, you were. We. When I say last week, I mean the first hour that we just recorded. <laughs> it's the magic of radio. We pretend that a week has gone by. Oh, she's learning. I'm new, I'm new, man. What'd you think? Uh, it was, Give us your uh, honest critique. Uh, it was a lot, a lot of sex jokes. That was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. uh, you used that soundboard really well. Oh, thank you. The moans were hilarious. <laughs> For no reason, just a toilet flush. Yeah, I'm still wondering why uh, JB doesn't like me. What? He just met me. <laughs> JB, do you already have an issue why? with, with okay. intern Andrew? So she, she's going to blow up the spot all the time. Okay, so here's my problem with intern Andrew as being a gay company. Oh, um, We've had, since I've been here, 
We've had so many of the straight people. I have not seen my own people here. I'm tired of these straight people. I'm so tired of them. I want to help my community. Where's my little children? Like, there's no shade to Andrew. Wow. I'm just tired hate out straight people. Like, even my old no friends, offense. my closest friends are straight. I'm over it. All right, Jay, uh, Andrew, let me just say that JB's, the opinions of JB do not reflect <laughs> those of DNR Studios or the Adam Sank Show. All genders and sexualities are welcome here on the ass. And for the record, we've had plenty of queer interns, JB. Oh, yeah, I know that. I'm just saying we haven't had them in a while, and I miss them. I miss those adorable little hearts. All right. Well, Andrew, like I said, you're welcome here, and uh, don't listen to anything JB says. <laughs> She's crazy. Um, hey, just a shout-out to myself. Uh, my upcoming gig in Wilton Manors, Florida, will be March 31st through April 3rd with my very talented boyfriend, Patrick Bod. We will be naked on stage at the Foundry Theater, formerly the Wilton Theater Factory in Wilton Manors. <clears throat> Go to RonnieLarson.com or AdamSank.com for tickets now. All right, a question for everyone in the room, except Andrew. I don't think he's going to have an opinion on this. Uh, who do you think has it easier in gay sex? Tops or bottom? This is a very scientific question because bottom. as a bottom, uh, I have to do a lot of prep work. But I'm also a very active bottom, so I like to move. Put I like your, to wiggle. Put your, keep uh, your face I, in front of the mic. I like to move. I like to wiggle. I like for things to happen. However, you know, once I get to the actual bottoming part, I can be pretty lazy, where the tops are doing all the work, and they get real damn sweaty. So I think the prep belongs to the bottoms, but the actual act is probably mutual, skewing more towards the top. I think that's 100% accurate. Yeah. JB, your thoughts? Oh, okay. Um... I, I'm gonna speak from my perspective, cause I'm I'm bottom who throws it back. I put Ooh. in the work, and I also do prep work, and then I fuck lazy tops. And bottom. then you know sometimes when you clean out, you spend hours cleaning out, and then there's one mistake, and then they the then everything's <laughs> over. A lot of that happens. So you know what? I think I do most of the work. Okay, I I don't know how other bottoms do it, but I me for me and other bobs like me, we put in the work. I'm going to agree with Steve. JJ, do you have an opinion? I'm going to go somewhere in between JB and the two of you because I definitely see what JB's saying. And there's nothing worse than a lazy top. Mm. Absolutely I agree. nothing I agree. worse. We all know some of those. We do. It's so unfortunate, really. I, here's, I, I agree with Steve, and I just want to add part uh, an addendum to it, which is um, as someone who does top sometimes, even though nobody believes it <gasps> – the challenge for me is getting and staying rock hard as a top. And that's mm. important, particularly when you don't have that much to work with to begin with. So <laughs> I take Viagra um, whenever I'm going to top and sometimes even when I'm not going to just, you know, for fun. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, my fear and sort of the stress of it is, am I going to be able to stay hard the whole time and also fuck the bottom long enough that he really enjoys it. You know, sometimes I just want to come and it's like, no, I can't come yet. He's not ready. So I, I have, I struggle with that in either position. This is very thoughtful. But as far as prep, my God, I mean, it, and just the fear of like something going wrong. So the reason I brought this up is because there was a debate on Reddit. Is it easier, is sex easier for tops or bottoms? So there, here were the main arguments. Hell yes, it is. A lot of work goes into preparation, food, cleaning, loosening, etc. Of course, all of the actual sex part is usually shared difficulty, but then you also have aftercare. We didn't even think about that. Uh -huh. Tops love your bottoms and treat them special. They do a lot of work to show you a fun time. Um, here's the counter argument, or the actually the middle ground. Maybe, maybe not. Depends. As in the underwear you wear when you're incontinent. Uh, depends. <laughs> Topping is easier to prepare for than bottoming, but, and it's a big but, if the top is actually trying to give the bottom a good experience, this requires certain skills. Making sure the bottom is comfortable and not hurting him. Some of them like to be hurt. Also, not wanting to dis disappoint bottoms from finishing too fast, like I just said. So I feel like being a great top is harder than being a good bottom, but physically bottoming can be more time-consuming and demanding. And then finally... Uh, no, it's not harder for the bottoms. Lies. So, this is someone on Reddit writing this. Some bottoms just lay there. <gasps> the required work for bottoms mostly happens before and after sex. The required work for tops mostly happens during sex. Both have their advantages and disadvantages. 
I definitely don't agree that it's easier to be a top. Someone else says, nope, being a bottom is a cinch. Having a clean rectum is easy. Andrew, are you so happy that you're here today? Uh, <laughs> bottoms over douche all the time. This I agree this with. This is true. A fiber, this is important information for everyone. A fiber pill with each meal or glass of water is all I ever do that's special. Since I'm versed, I can tell you that topping include, topping involves erectile erectile dysfunction and positioning and is way more complicated and fraught than being the target. This person is a liar. Agree. Liar. liar. Why do you say that? Ain't no, ain't nobody biologically capable of doing one little metamucil with their salad and be like, oh my God, I'm ready to go at yeah. any time. No, any not time. at any time, but I, as I've said on the air, I do not douche and I am clean 99% of the time. A lot of fiber in the diet. And a, and a healthy diet. I mean, you know, I don't eat meat. Um, and then you eliminate and you take a really good shower with a lot of soap and fingers and you're done. There's no need to be spraying water into your, your ass. And as Dr. Goldstein has told us several times on this show, it is bad for you. It removes a lining of the rectum. It, it creates more irritation. You're more likely to get diseases. And, uh, and, and yeah, there's douching is just not something that the asshole was meant for. It's, it, you know, yeah, the asshole wasn't also meant to take dick, but we're doing it anyway. Like, <laughs> where's the lie? <laughs> you know what I recently learned about? Well, I should say in the last in the last year is uh, a party prep. Have you heard of this? No. It's where you take an anti diarrhea uh, diarrhea pill about an hour to an hour and a half before you go out. So this is also for you druggies out there that like to do a little bit of the white stuff. Um, but it keeps you from having any messes the rest of the evening. When you say white stuff, do you mean cocaine? La cocaina. Okay, I recommend never doing cocaine on a night you're planning to bottom. Period. <laughs> Period. But I have learned... It cocaine is, is not a good sex drug. All I think is the Patrick beat. Period. <laughs> <laughs> period. Um, but uh, no, for I mean, it really, after um, I, I come to Jesus moment with a friend of mine who was like, just take this pill, the anti-diarrhea pill, it really works. I'm always fine. So thank, thank you for, uh, that is what I sound like after, before I take my anti-diarrhea That's what I sound like after getting fucked when all the air is coming out. <laughs> with a little... Circling back to the original point, though, the top never has to worry about the fucking anti-diarrhea pill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but and yet and yet, as the top, you're the one that's going to get your dick messy if it is messy. So everyone, listen when when it's messy, it's a problem for everyone in the room. Correct. All ten of them. But again, it's, it, I feel like it's the same concept as if, as, as if maybe Andrew could quote to this because he's a straight guy. As if you're having sex with a girl, she gets her period. Exactly. Like, why would you make her feel Andrew, bad? let's hear from Andrew yeah. on this. How do, you <laughs> how do you feel when you're fucking a woman and suddenly there's blood all over the sheets? I'm extremely worried. <laughs> worried that what? Worried uh, how we're going to clean it up. It would be on my dick. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it looks like I'd murder someone and I'd be like... <laughs> so it is the same. Yeah. It's the same. So now you know what we deal with sometimes. First of all, it is not the same. As a person who has fucked both men and women, there's two very... You have fucked a woman on her period? No. Have I? So you don't know. <laughs> this could be our grossest show ever. I was, you know... I, either, so. I was an equal opportunist in college and I realized, no offense, uh, intern Andrew, how disgusting it is to fuck... <laughs> It wasn't disgusting for me. I fucked a lot of women in college. Oh. It was never disgusting. It just wasn't hot. No, but, but I don't remember anyone bleeding yeah. on me. No. Anyway, the point is, sex is messy. Uh, tops and bottoms both have challenges. I think the hardest thing is to be good at what you're doing regardless. To be a truly great bottom or a truly great top requires dedication, practice, thoughtfulness, mindfulness, and cleanliness. <laughs> don't forget the proper breathing technique. And proper breathing. And don't forget knowing how to clap. Okay? Thank you, sis. <laughs> she gets it. <laughs> okay. Moving on. That was a great uh, discussion. If you have anything you want to weigh in on uh, the top-bottom debate, email me at adam at adamsank.com. Bottom. All right. So we've been hearing a lot about this hideous don't-say-gay bill down in Florida, which recently passed. This is the bill that would... Uh, banned teachers or other school workers from literally saying gay or discussing LGBTQ people or issues in any way um, in front of uh, school children. Uh, it, there's no reason for this to exist other than to repress queer kids and to drum up 
votes and fundraising for the hideous MAGA base down there that uh, Ron Death Santis is courting. Um, by the way, somebody on my on the Adam Sank Show page saw that I was going to Florida to perform with Patrick, and they were and the name of the of our show is April Fools, and the person wrote. I hope this is an April Fool's joke and that you're not violating the Florida boycott. So let me say this. I support a boycott of Florida as far as tourists, but I'm going to Wilton Manors. Mm-hmm. I'm going to the gayest, one of the gayest towns in the world. Yep. The only the second town in America to have an all gay city government. They voted for Biden 78 percent in Wilton Manors. By the way, a disappointment to me because it should have been 100%. But I'm performing at a gay theater. We're not spending a dollar. We're getting paid to be there. We're getting flown in. We're being put up at at a gay person's house, not at a hotel. So the state of Florida isn't making shit off of me uh, or Patrick. We're making something off of them, and we're supporting a gay community that votes the way it's supposed to and that, of course, opposes the Don't Say Gay bill. So to the person who left that comment, Go fuck yourself. Thank you. Anyway. It kind of reminds me of the statement that we talked about a couple of weeks ago about that girl working with that guy who did Kesharal. And she's Dr. Like, Luke. Yeah, and she's Patrick. like dancing with oh, the yes. devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you just dance with the devil to make your money. Oh, hello. Come on in. Hi. Hi. Oh, our guest is here early. Fabulous. All right. So um, where was I? So this Don't Say Gay bill, House Bill 1557 passed. And one of the chief sponsors of it was this Florida state representative named Joe Harding. <laughs> and um, last Saturday, a tornado touched down in the city of Ocala, where Harding lives, and it literally struck his house. Oh. <laughs> you know, times are really hard. Just his house. No one else's. Um Actually, seven out of ten homes in his neighborhood, he said, suffered catastrophic damage. Nobody was injured or hurt, so we're allowed to laugh about this. Um, he interviewed about the tornado. He said, we are blessed. It could have been a lot worse. Local weather stations reported that the tornado passed through the area with wind speeds of up to 110 miles per hour. A lot of people on Twitter were quick to blame the tornado on divine intervention. <laughs> um Wait, where's the quote? You know what? God was listening. God said, I love the gays, so go fuck you. Exactly. And... <laughs> That's exactly right. I, uh, I, I somehow didn't print out the tweets, but they basically were like, don't fuck with the gays. They should never. So, um, yeah, let's hope that more tornado- tornadoes hit the homes of anti-queer GOP lawmakers. Thank you. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of anti-gay people... Uh, remember the whole Jerry Falwell Jr. story, which we've talked about many times on this yeah. show. Jerry Falwell Jr., the former head of Liberty University, who was forced out after all a number of scandals, uh, including perhaps three ways with his wife and young men to whom he paid ridiculous amounts of money for unspecified reasons. Um, this was the the pool boy scandal, as it was best known, because they had a mm-hmm. they, they met this pool boy when they were on vacation, and he wound up becoming very close to the couple, and then they gave him like ten million dollars for no apparent reason. Ooh, the lights just came on wow. on the on the studio. What are those yeah, lavender you, lights that just came? I like them. No, I really like it. Okay, thank you, intern Andrew. I, from Andrew, intern Andrew just made it gayer in here. He's not. He kept it one color, instead of just making it rainbow and rotating. Oh, so, yeah. What don't touch this? my light, girl. I didn't even. I feel like I'm in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang right now. I didn't know the studio <laughs> could do these things. And, anyway, the Jerry Falwell story is now being turned into a biopic, which I'm very excited. It will be based on uh, uh, articles by Gabe Sherman that he wrote for Vanity Fair. Um, basically, in which he detailed the Falwell scandals. And so um, people uh, on Queerty have been putting together a dream cast of whom they would like to see, who they would like to see play in each of these roles. And their picks are Joel Edgerton as Jerry Falwell Jr. I don't really know Joel Edgerton. He was in the movies Boy, Erased, and Loving. Uh, he has a knack for playing tortured and twisted characters. Anna Paquin as Becky Falwell. Ooh, I love her. She has the right mix of sexuality, modesty, and cunning to embody a real-life Lady Macbeth like Becky Falwell. Jacob Elordi as the pool boy, Giancarlo Granda. Jacob Elordi plays the the very tall, very hot, evil bully in Euphoria. 
I'm uh, fucking in love with him. And he's got the youthful innocence, square jaw looks, and raw ambition. Um, oh, he was also in the Kissing Booth movies. And uh, yes, yeah, so he would play the pool boy that allegedly fucked both Falwells. Dan Aykroyd as Jerry Falwell Sr. This I do not agree with. I was say, that's a little bizarre. I like Dan Aykroyd, and he's a good actor. <laughs> but really, are you applauding it? Did you not see him in Driving Miss Daisy? Okay, so our guest is already speaking, joining the interview, even though he hasn't been introduced. Adam Feldman, you say what? I say, look at Dan Aykroyd in Driving Miss Daisy, and he, he's uh, playing a sleazy southern gentleman. I guess that's where they got this from. All right. Uh, Joan Allen as Marcel Falwell. That's the disapproving mother who, according to Becky and Jerry, bullied her son and hated his wife. Joan Allen is perfect for those roles. Mm -hmm. I agree. Harris Dickinson as Benjamin Crosswhite. Crosswhite's name often gets lost in the lurid details of the the Falwell story. He was a former Liberty University student who became a personal trainer to Becky and Jerry and who, for some strange reason, the Falwells insisted on paying $2 million in cash and loans from Liberty's bank accounts. He was photographed shirtless riding a horse on the beach with Jerry Falwell. Uh, Dylan Minette as Trey Falwell's friend and bandmate. Um, Becky Falwell allegedly seduced uh, this teenager and we never – he's anonymous. We don't know what he looks like. But apparently this Dylan Minnette who was on 13 Reasons Why is the pick for that one. And this last one I think is okay, but I have a better idea. They want Ben Stiller as Michael Cohen. Oh. Michael Cohen, Trump's former attorney and fixer, yeah. you remember, is intimately wrapped up in the Falwell scandal. He claims that uh, Falwell called on him to, for help wanting to make the, these mm-hmm. naked pictures of the Falwells and Poolboy go away. Um, they think Ben Stiller should play him. I say David Schwimmer is more of a Michael Cohen than Ben Stiller. Oh. You know what? But Ben Stiller has sort of stopped being a comedian and really started being a more quote-unquote serious actor. So I could see him playing that really well. And he kind of looks – I, I feel like David Schwimmer looks little... more like him. He's got that square head. I guess. Um, you know what I'm really looking forward to? My five-minute Netflix synopsis. Oh, I can't wait. Five minutes. Um, More like 15 minutes. So just to recall, the Falwell story is a guy who was the uh, university who had the pool boy. Him and his wife were doing funky stuff with the university money for the pool boy thing. Yes. I mean, he was getting paid like millions of dollars every year. And uh, the the allegations are that he was funneling it to these young men for no apparent reason. I remember now because I was jealous of them. Yes, you were. You wanted to be the pool boy. Oh, I did want to be the pool boy. I wanted all that shmoney's. Thank you for reminding me. I would love to see this. Actually, I do think that I I want to see Ben Stiller in this role because yes, mm-hmm. I want to see him be leave from a comedian and be a serious actor because this has been an exciting journey to watch. It's a be. fairly small role I in the movie, still. but um, there are no small roles. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. There's no word on when this is coming out. I I would love to see Brian Murphy. Or, excuse me, Ryan Murphy, uh, produce and direct it. It sounds like it's right up his alley. Meanwhile. Have you guys heard of something called bigorexia? Yes. What is bigorexia, Steve? Isn't bigorexia where you want to be bigger, more muscly, bigger? It's sort of like the gay community has turned from being twink and hairless to big, beefy, and brawny. Um, and a lot of sort of young high school boys are trying to be these big, mu- muscular Instagram beings that, you know, as we all know, don't necessarily exist outside of the Instagram universe. Um, and people are going to extremes such as... Or California. Or California. Um, like, you know, either overeating, overexercising, uh, taking illicit drugs that they shouldn't be injecting into their young, unformed bodies sort of uh, thing. That's exactly right, Steve. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. This was an article I found in the New York Times that says that, as Steve said, that Instagram is leading many teen boys to struggle with bigorexia. Many doctors and researchers say that the relentless online adulation of muscular male bodies can have a toxic effect on the self-esteem of young men. With the never-ending scroll of six-packs and boy band faces making them feel inadequate and anxious, and while there's been increased public awareness on how social media can be harmful to teen girls, and that's a very real thing, and there's a lot of research showing that it increases depression and thoughts of suicide among girls, it may be just as harmful for boys. Um, this never really occurred to me, but, you know, when I was growing up, long before the Internet existed, <laughs> boys and men were not sexualized the way women 
always were. You know, we had sex symbols, but they were guys like Burt Reynolds. Right. You know, Burt Reynolds was a great looking man, but he wasn't perfect. You know, he had kind of a dad bod. He was uh, – uh, Tom Selleck was another one. Or, like Steve said, we had the the young, smooth right. teen twinks like David Cassidy and um, – what was the his brother? Sean Cassidy and, and all those boys. But there wasn't really – I mean, you had muscle magazines yeah. that some that bodybuilders and gay guys you know, would read and stuff. But it wasn't mainstream. And then I believe the turning point was Mark Wahlberg with those uh, Calvin Klein underwear ads in the oh, 90s. Yeah. And suddenly the male form, particularly muscular, big, you mm-hmm. know, ripped, perfect abs, perfect arms, perfect back, all that, that he created – this image of perfection that suddenly boys and men wanted to live up to. And it isn't just gay boys. It's straight boys. And then with Instagram, of yeah. course, it just explodes. I myself have unfollowed most of the thirst traps I used to follow on Instagram because it occurred to me, Same. what's the point? It makes me sad. It makes me feel shitty about yeah. my body, which I normally <laughs> am happy with my body. And two, what am I all I'm doing is hitting like over and over again yeah. as if somehow that's going to lead me to them. Like they're going to go, oh, he liked my picture. I'm going to fuck him. <laughs> that never happens. It doesn't for you? Steve oh. says. No, I'm just kidding. It has. <laughs> Steve, you say what? So, yeah. So I guess it's so difficult. Um, I guess I struggle. When I was in theater and was still performing, there was this whole thing of, which doesn't quite exist anymore, thanks to people like Lin-Manuel Miranda, where like, I felt like I was too Latin. I felt like I was too thin. I felt like I was too short. Or, you know, there was, especially in the audition room, they'd ask me how tall I was. The moment I said 5'8", 5'8", was too short for a man. So it's, it's sort of interesting. And there was always that thought of, I need to be a little bit beefier, a little bit thinner. I need to look less Latin. Beefier and thinner. Beefier and thinner. That's the thing. Yeah. We're supposed to have big, broad shoulders and tiny waist. Yeah. You know how fucking hard that is for yeah. most people? And I remember just, like, looking at all of my friends. So that, hard. You know. <laughs> Shut up, JB. That I, love, that I love so much that weren't necessarily, in my opinion, as talented as me, either vocally or however. But they looked a very certain way. Certain way. And I used to work for people like Telsey Casting. And, you know, and, and I would just see the exact same person get through. And it just, you know, and it affected me in a way where I knew that I was never going to be the one that would make it pass because I didn't have the look that sells. Right. So now it's coming, especially with Netflix, Netflix, Instagram and Tumblr and Twitter and everyone's sort of doing the exact same thing. It's what you see over and over and over that people want to become. Do you follow the thirst traps on Insta? Only if they have 10,000 or less. That's like my rule. Oh, I like that yeah, rule. 10,000 or less. That's but I, like... Um... Yeah. It's like giving locally instead of to the big corporation. <laughs> but what I do is I do bait the ones with more than 10. I get the follow and then I unfollow them. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're too popular now. I follow the ones I know, like Matthew Camp. Yeah. But I'm sick of following people that I don't know and will never meet just because they post endless shirtless pictures of their yep. perfect bodies. It's like, or they oh, have to see that. Know, dick print pictures and their meat is huge. And you're mm. just like, mm. I know. That makes me sad, too. Yeah, and you just have to unfollow it because it's like, (laughs) why am I on this app looking at these beautiful things I will never have? Right. It makes me sad. And and the fact is, you know, we all need to love our bodies regardless of what they look like. And, and, you know, body love and body self-care is at odds with constantly feeling like you're not good enough. You're not this. You're not that. You're not – you don't look like him. And also – who who decided that this was the standard of beauty? Right, you know, someone in the gay community. I don't know who, but someone did. Well, and straight and straight men and 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 straight women to a certain extent. But like, look at Steve. Like Steve likes guys that are huge. <laughs> I was gonna say beefy. Yeah, beefy. He doesn't, you know, and and so do <laughs> millions of others. Yeah. Um, and some people like skinny little twinks that don't have any muscles. And you know, it, it, we we have to expand our notion of beauty. And I think in some ways Instagram does that. I think Instagram can be used for good, so that people with non traditional body types, non traditional genders, uh, gender expressions can also be like worshipped and lusted after and admired. Um, but it but it can't all be the same body over and over again. And what's interesting that I think has come out of this as well, and it could also just be that I'm older and I'm listening to a different sort of group of people that are more mature, is that body positivity is coming out, you know, and, and there's dad bods that are definitely, you know, younger people are definitely into a dad bod, myself included. And there's also people like 
I'll, I'll repeat Lynn Manuel, who's changed the landscape of what is now acceptable in either theater or TV or there because everyone is learning that everyone can be accepted. I don't know if young people that are still trying to figure out, you know, how they fit in the world see the same way that I see things now. But now my me, myself, my person, I see that there's a shift, that there is more acceptance of different types, especially body positivity and people that appreciate different types of people and, and things in the way of looking and being. Amen. Um, we're going to skip the story about the shipwreck endurance. We can do that another time. It's one of my nerdy fun stories that I want to spend a lot of time on. We're going to skip to the story about a man who went to stay at an Airbnb in Florida. This is a story I just saw in the news that made me giggle. Um, so he he comes from out of state and he goes uh, – he he's in Miami to officiate at a friend's wedding. So he rents an Airbnb. He shows up late at night. He's exhausted. He tries the door on this house. It's open. He walks in. He goes into the first bedroom. It's a clean, empty bedroom with the beds freshly made and towels stacked on the bed. And he immediately goes to sleep. And in the morning, he wakes up and there's a man standing over him oh saying, hey, can I help you? This oh. is my house. And the guy's like, um, no, this is an Airbnb that I rented. And the man said, no, this is my house. <laughs> it turned out that the house he actually was supposed to stay in was next door. And he got the address wrong. And this house just happened to be unlocked and happened to have a guest room that was freshly made up with towels. I'm sorry. Where, where was this again? This is in Miami. Oh, my God. Who? Okay. I would expect, like, the, the middle. Yeah. Florida. But. Who leave their door unlocked? That's something I know. Midwestern people I know. do. Like I, they have gators in Florida. Go have a gator walk into your house. <laughs> Here's what's really interesting: the homeowner knocked on the door first. Aww, <laughs> so polite. He knocked on the door of his own guest room. Hello, hello. Why are you here? Uh, so that's our impression of someone we know. So. Um, he, as he points out, the, 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 the Airbnb renter, he said, I could have woken up to a really angry homeowner. Bad things could have happened. Seriously, it's fucking Florida. He could have woken up to a gun and been shot. Yes. And the dude and would have been like, I'm just standing my ground. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, his name, uh, by the way, is Paul Drexler. Drexler says he will be more careful in the future by double-checking his Airbnb rental information. But again, who leaves their door unlocked? And like, You know, I leave my door unlocked in New York City sometimes. If, I, if I'm if i going out to walk lady and oh, I'm yeah. only going to be gone for 15 minutes, the building has locks on the main door. So, you know. I do that okay, too. Okay, that's fair. 15 minutes. But I'm assuming, okay, this guy had been gone for more than 15 minutes because he had time to unpack, undress, unwind, take a shower, go to bed. He didn't necessarily do all those things, but, but he, I think he just went, went to bed. I, I, I don't know, sis. Like to me, that's crazy. I want to know who's so who's such a great host that they always have like clean towels yeah. in their guests. Oh, Steve's raising his hand. Well, I'm waiting to get invited to the Duchess. You know, you're always invited. You just have to tell me when you want to come up. You're all invited. Thank to you. The, even Adam Feldman's even invited. Even Adam Feldman's invited, <laughs> even though you just met. All right, and finally, <clears throat> uh, a story that caught my eye. There was a UK production of Rent uh, in the city of Leeds, and an audience member apparently stormed out after the first 15 minutes saying, this show is about gays. <laughs> the pearl-clutching theater-goer was seated for a matinee showing of Jonathan Larson's 1996 musical at the Carriage Work Theater in Millennium Square. Uh, of course, Rent is a story about uh, queer people, many of whom have HIV-AIDS. Um, uh, hold on. According to a uh, <laughs> according to a statement from a community arts group, the audience member um, caused a scene during the Act One song "Today for You, Tomorrow for Me," sung by the character Angel, the percussionist drag queen, uh, who actually is probably a trans woman, but that's an ongoing debate. Um, on exiting, on exiting, the individual turned to a member of the front of the house team and declared. I didn't realize this show was about gays. <laughs> Can you do that in an English accent, please? I didn't realize this show was about gays. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, production company put out a statement saying that in a bid to take a single individual's hate 
in a bid to take a single individual's hate and create something positive from it, Bit My Thumb, which is an arts group, will be donating a percentage of that performance's box office to an LGBTQ charity that will be decided upon by our cast. So thank you to that close-minded, outdated person. Your appalling attitude now means an underfunded LGBTQ plus organization, spelled with an S, will receive a donation it so desperately needs and will put it to good use. Hate is always foolish and love is always wise. Today for you, Tomorrow for me. Thank you. That was the most beautiful. That was beautiful. great. That was good. Yeah. yeah. My God. The audience loved it. Gorgeous. I mean, that's like going to, I'm trying to think of like, a, like it's like going to see uh, a chorus line and being like, I didn't realize this show was about dancers. Brent <laughs> <laughs> is possibly the queerest musical of all time. I didn't know this musical was about Princess Diana. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of which. I didn't know this club was gay. It's like he'd walk into the. It's, it's a oh, sex girl. club. All right. Our guest today is a returning champion to the ass. Um, I went through our files and it turns out he hasn't been on the show since May of 2018. which no, is it's a been a long time. Uh, he's the theater editor and critic for Time Out New York, and he and his fellow Time Out colleague, David Cote, am I saying that right? Cody. Oh, Cody. Buffalo Bill Cody. I like it's Cote French. better. Uh, they recently released their list of the 25 worst Broadway musicals of the millennium. Here to talk about that in studio is the one and only Adam Feldman. Hello. Adam. Oh, it's so nice to be back. You were just chomping at the bit to uh, join was, our discussion. We did champing in my house, but... Yeah. Oh, that's you know, right. That's another, that's another controversy. Adam, you look good. <laughs> Thank you, you look very like much. you've I been see. staring at Instagram thirst traps and decided to give I yourself have. that. Uh, I that... have big erect. Do you have big erexia? <laughs> <laughs> Just big erections. Yeah. Yes, I can see that. I don't have big erectia. I, I, no one's ever accused me of being too built. You look great, though. Your Thank signature you. mustache has become more of an all-over beard now. That's just kind of lazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, let's be clear about what you mean by millennium, because I, when I first saw the list, I thought it was the worst musicals of the last thousand years. But no, you were saying the year 2000 and forward. Right. Uh, or if you want to be one of those people, the year 20, you know, 2001 and forward, doesn't really matter in this case, but because uh, none of our choices are from 2000. But uh, yes, uh, it is of the millennium so far. So who knows? These may and everything else might turn out might to be, be amazing, shit. right? Uh, or terrible, and these all these early things will be forgotten. Uh, but uh, it seems you know there are a lot of books already and a lot of articles about sort of great flops of the twentieth century. I think that we need to go forward, get a little start, closer to the mic, get a little closer to the mic. Also, to I, get a you get a little closer, oh, get a little to, closer yes. to the microphone. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, so. I think that another thing is when you're talking about uh, theater, because theater is by nature ephemeral, uh, you are often, you know, uh, talking about things that you haven't seen if you're talking about theater history. So when you talk about great flops of the 1960s, you're just repeating the same things that other people have said about right. those things. So we wanted to focus on shows that we had uh, actually seen and that were in recent memory and that we could talk about in a reputable and informed and opinionated way. What was your criteria for badness? There are many of them, and there are actually uh, on this list there are a lot of different kinds of shows, and there are a lot of different kinds of failures. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what we didn't put on, which was sort of small shows that uh, had no harm done. You know, there, there was a show called Glory Days, for example, which ran for one night a few years ago. Uh, it wasn't a great show, but that wasn't it wasn't one of the worst shows ever. It didn't have the scope. It didn't have the ambition to be I preferred one of the Glory great Holes myself. <laughs> I've was, heard that about you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we wanted we wanted things that that had a certain scope to them um, because I think that that's what makes a memorable flop. Really, it's the ambition, it's the gap between the ambition and the accomplishment. Well, and speaking of that, uh, the the one that jumped out at me from your list because it was probably the most notorious flop of all time was Spider Man: Turn Off the Dark. Yes, which of course had you know hundreds of previews. It had six months of previews. What you got against six and, months? And you know what was the and, and what? <laughs> if you what, what was the budget on that, Adam? It was it was in the it was I forget eighty million. So it was a huge amount of money and just terrible. Yes, and and it was that was actually a very interesting case because it, it was originated by Julie Taymor, who's a brilliant 
creative director, and she had just come off of this enormous success with The Lion King. And this uh, investor had basically given her carte blanche and check blanche to, you know, uh, spend as much money as she wanted to create a new vision of Spider-Man. They got, you know, the Bono and the U- and the Edge from U2 to write the score. And it was the biggest Broadway production in history. And there was a lot of excitement and uh, press about it and hype about it. And then it just kept falling down. Well, I mean, literally, literally, there, people there, kept, there, there were endless injuries, injuries and, yeah, and there someone almost lost injuries. their foot. Yeah, I don't want to make I don't want to make light of the injuries because they were actually very serious injuries to the uh, actors involved. But more than that, uh, it was a creative mess. And then it, when it became obvious that it was a creative mess, there was a, a long and drawn out scramble to try to fix it. And usually, these preview periods last a few weeks, and they kept on pushing back the opening night as they kept on changing and evolving it. And finally, the critics came by themselves, just actually paid money. Right, to see a paid preview. Paid money to see a play. And, uh, of course, the pain yeah, to see and, theater. Uh, and, and called it uh, what it was. Now, this is also a very unusual case because after this period, they took a break of a month they fired Julie Tamer as director. They brought on a new book writer and a new director, and they took what they could salvage from the junk heap of the first version of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, and they com- made it into a completely new show. Basically, they took the first act of it and expanded it to two acts and junked the entire second act and rewrote the script so that it would fit the set pieces that were already in place for both acts. So it was an enormously challenging thing that they did. And I will give it credit for this. It became an okay show. Yes. And so by the time that Spider-Man actually opened in its final version and officially opened, it was serviceable. And it ran for another couple of years. I saw it twice. I saw it once in previews, probably about three months in, and then once uh, the finished show after it had opened. And I did hate it but in retrospect, I have to say, the music is good. I the, like I like the score. The music is kind of fun. It didn't have a chance to really register as music, though, because the staging is so busy. Yeah. And the, wh- one of the interesting things about seeing the final version is that, again, it's a, it's a workmanlike, professional, competent show in its final version. But there, there are exciting moments in it, in the final version. And those exciting moments are all the ones that they, that they kept from the original a Julie Tamer version because they are very beautiful and original and striking. It's just that the the whole conception of the original was a, a, an, an incomprehensible mess, and um, <laughs> I, I really can't I can't say it any any clearer than that. It was bad shit crazy. <laughs> Um, and uh, spider shit crazy. And I, and I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it made no, it made no sense. And I think I, I, on some level, I think that Julie was going with some, some metaphor in her head about the World Wide web and a connection to Spider-Man and mythology, mythology, feminism, but specifically like a pun on web and on virtual reality. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it, it didn't work. All right. Moving on. Uh, when you hear the name Kathy Lee Gifford oh, yes. and Broadway musical, you I think just, scandalous. You think it's going to be scandalous and a piece of shit. Yeah. So it was. And we're talking about the show Scandalous, about the, um, the notorious evangelist Amy Semple McPherson. Uh, and this show came out in 2012. Tell us a little about Scandalous. That is correct. It is, it is a biography. It starred the wonderful Carolee Carmelo, who's a <laughs> terrific Broadway actor, who also appeared in another show on this list, uh, Elton John's Lestat. Uh, she got Tony nominations for both of these shows, mm-hmm. even though the shows couldn't have been worse. And uh, in, the, in, the, in Kathy Lee's case, she has a long history of uh, aspiring to write songs. Uh, and perform them. Uh, she, she wasn't in the show. She was not in Mercifully. the show. No, she was not in the show. <laughs> um, but it was another one of these. It's a vanity project. And had she not been Kathy Lee Gifford, I mean, she, if she did, had she not had that, that name brand attached to it, it would never have made it to Broadway. And, and you see that a lot on this list. You see people who have succeeded in other media who uh, think that this makes them able to do you know one of the one of the most infamous shows on this list is a show called in my life uh from the 2000s and this was written 
by Joe Brooks, and he had had a huge hit song in the 1970s called You Light Up My Life. Yes. We've actually Debbie talked Debbie. about In My Life on this show right. because he wound up being like a murderer. Mm -hmm. um, a, a, a molester. And I, I, well, no, His not, son was not a murderer. A child molester. He, he, ended, he, he was accused uh, credibly multiple times of sexual abuse. and so. The, it, but it, then his son also murdered his girlfriend at Soho House. Oy. Yeah, there was, they were a lovely family. Well, and then I think he, I think he committed suicide, Joseph. Yes. Mm. Happy, happy time. So it's less fun now to talk about in my life as being one of the terrible musicals of the 21st century. Um, but, uh, but it really was. It was one of those gobsmackers where you, you can't believe that anyone thought this was going to work on a basic level. It's a, there's, a, there's an angel, there's cancer, and there's dancing skeletons, and there's giant lemons falling from the sky. And nobody... Uh, you know, but nobody nobody intervened. Joe Brooks wrote this. He wrote the score. He wrote the book. He's kind of seems to have produced it. You know, he it's an act of enormous hubris, uh, and it it fell it fell pretty flat. You've got two jukebox musicals on the list. That more than that, I think. Uh, well, the two that stood out to me because the artists were so legendary were Good Vibrations, uh, based on the songs of the Beach Boys and Lennon. Um, both of which came out in 2005. There are so many successful jukebox musicals. There's, you know, right. Jersey Boys and um, uh, the the one about the Temptations, Ain't Too Proud, right. and so many uh, beautiful. Mom, How did these Mama two? Mamma Mia it was it was a monster. How did these two go wrong? Well, first of all, a lot of jukebox musicals go wrong. Uh, the fact that the most of them aren't on this list is more of a testimony to what I was talking about before in terms of the ambition. A lot of jukebox musicals that fail are just boring, um, and so, you know, so they 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 don't come together in an interesting way because the songs weren't originally written for these contexts into which they've been shoehorned in these shows, uh, but. Sometimes, again, there's a gulf, and there's another one that could very well be on this list, which was The Times They Are a Changing, which was... The Bob uh, Dylan musical. Yeah, Bob Dylan's mm -hmm. Evil Circus musical. That, <laughs> <laughs> and um, Who knew that an evil circus musical was a bad idea? Well, Twyla Tharp uh, was, again, just coming <laughs> yeah. off of moving out and was like, my next project will be Bob Dylan, except, wait for it, it's a circus, except, wait for it, a dark circus. Uh, the... Uh, the problem with Lenin is the the disconnect between the quality of the material and the earnest um, musical theaterness of the presentation, and you, you, that's that's when things go awry. It happened also with um, Times They Are Changing. Now, there's another Bob Dylan musical now, Girl from North Country, uh, that is more artistically successful because it it doesn't put all the literalist pressure on the on the lyrics that a lot of these uh, one of the problems that these jukebox musicals have a lot is that they try to take the existing lyrics and build stories around them and try to weave them into making sense uh and then and then they seem the, the lyrics just seem ridiculous and uh, you know the better ones often like jersey boys or like beautiful uh or the Ain't Too Proud, you know, they will be bio-musicals about these About the artists themselves. Yeah. Right. And so then you, or even, even just sort of successful show ones like Tina or, or MJ now, it's mostly people, the, the artists themselves performing those songs because those songs aren't written as plot songs. Right. You, the most recent musical on your list was Diana from oh, 2021. Yes. You wrote... The gobsmacking unseriousness that characterizes Diana's approach to the late princess is also what makes it bearable to watch in a way that a more earnest version would probably never have been. For collectors of flop shows, Diana is a keeper. It goes for broke and achieves it. Now, would it make <laughs> you feel awkward to know that my co-host Steve is married to Lane March, who was the stage manager for Diana? No, a general manager. General manager. General manager. Yeah. It would not make me feel awkward. I mean, look, this is my job, and I love theater people. <laughs> I do. I really do. And uh, I consider myself a theater pe person, uh, a theater people. Uh, I... Um, it's a complicated relationship when you write a bad review uh, of something, and you, sometimes it can be awkward socially when you run into people. But uh, my it's not awkward. experience... I know you don't hate my husband. He just hates you. I'm oh, just kidding. That's all right. <laughs> no, but, no, but listen, look, I expect, I expect people to 
to be mad at me. I hate people who say bad bad things about me. Uh, I expect that. And then, you know, hopefully the next time comes around and I write something nice about them and – uh, and they like me again. That's just part of the circle of, of life. No, but Diana clearly was not successful, and Lane and Steve both acknowledged yes, that. that, that, yeah. what, that was the, what was the central problem with Diana, in your opinion? Uh, the central problem was that it was about Princess Diana. Uh, really? Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the central problem is that that story is very recent and very tragic and uh, very complicated, and everyone knows a lot about it already. So – uh, when you were dramatizing it, you uh, have to be very careful about bad taste. And a lot, bad taste comes out a, a lot in these shows that we're talking about. There's a difference between, again, between the seriousness of the material or the quality of the material and the accomplishment of the execution. And so Diana could have been – could still be – the story of Diana could still be, I think, a, a, a fodder for a good opera. But the material was so garish and so cheap and tabloidy that it just didn't come together. But, but that's I think... the purpose of the show. The tabloid part is why it was written. It was written because the tabloids are what made Diana who she is. Yeah, but you can't be critical of the tabloids, which the show tr- tries to pretend it is, and also do exactly the same thing. Does it pretend tabloids. or is it commenting on it? Uh, it, it pretends to be commenting on it, and it's actually just reproducing it. It was very campy, Steve. It's I mean, campy. I loved it. Oh, I, I totally I enjoyed it myself, yeah. but it's it's a ridiculous show. It's almost like yeah. a drag show but version yeah, and, of that. And the other thing is that most people who are in these shows, I mean, know that they're not good. Not necessarily at the time that they're doing them when they have to really put on their blinders yeah. and believe in it. And But years later, if they have the luck to do other projects and, you know, can move on from it. They can look back fondly on, oh, my God, can you believe that we did that that, that show, you know? Well, you can see the entire list at timeout.com slash New York. Adam, you said when I invited you on that you didn't want to just say shitty things. <laughs> you wanted to recommend some really good musicals that people can see right now. I love uh, musicals. I love Broadway musicals. Um, the one that I'm most excited about right now that's coming this spring and I is uh, A Strange Loop. Mm, I heard that was really good. And uh, it's by Michael R. Jackson, and it won the Pulitzer Prize a couple of years ago. It's a musical. It's about, uh, speaking of body issues, it's about a, a, a heavyset uh, gay black guy. Uh, he's the main character. He's sort of semi-autobiographical based on Michael. It's a, it's a what I call an intravaganza. <laughs> it's, a, it's a show that sort of takes place inside his imagination. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a brilliant show, I think. Who's it by? Uh, it's by Michael R. Jackson. Oh, is that what you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, not to be confused with Michael Jackson, the subject of MJ. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it played off-Broadway a few years ago. Uh, it kind of unexpectedly and delightfully won the Pulitzer. And now it's coming to Broadway next month. And everyone should go see it. Now, not just gay people. Everyone should go see it. It's a terrific show. What else do you recommend? Um, there's a lot. You know, there, I would say take a look Beyond the Broadway stuff, I mean, go to our Broadway pages, look at Time Out New York's Broadway listings, but also look at our off-Broadway listings because a lot of the most interesting stuff does happen off-Broadway, and uh, especially for plays. If you're looking for musicals, you're still going to get a lot of big musicals on Broadway, but the the biggest and the, the, the most interesting and ambitious plays still happen uh, off-Broadway. So I would say depends on what you – I don't want to give in, in individual recommendations – because everyone is so different, but go to the off-Broadway page on Time Out New York, scan down those listings, and see what appeals to you. Because Tonight so I'm much. seeing an off-Broadway show called To My Girls. Oh, yeah, that's the new gay play. And uh, any thoughts? Uh, I haven't seen it yet. So okay, I, I'll, I'll let, let you know. Uh, in the time remaining, Adam, it's time to play everyone's favorite game, Ask Me No Questions. <gasps> Ask me no questions. Me no questions. I don't think we had this the last time you were on. No, but it's already my favorite game. <laughs> <laughs> Which Broadway star would you most like to fuck? <laughs> Patty Lapone. Oh, come on. Give us a real answer. I can't give you a real answer. I'm a professional. <laughs> oh, so dreary. All right. Uh, speaking of Lupone, who, in your opinion, was the best gypsy? Merman, Lansbury, Daly, Midler, Peters, or Lupone? Lupone. Wow. Good Just answer. like that. Yeah. Interesting. Why? Uh, because I think she has the power of Merman, and also she acts it. Mm. So, I agree. Ethel Merman yeah. was not a great actress. Nope. Also, her voice makes me want to kill myself. <laughs> Have you ever jerked off? Uh, wait. Have you ever jerked anyone off in a Broadway theater? No. I have. 
And you know who it is, too. No, really? It's our mutual friend, Seth. Oh, my God. We went to see... Uh, it was actually at the Lucille Lortel, so that's technically off-Broadway, Was right? it at Diana? No, oh. it was... I, <laughs> I wish. No, it was, uh, it was a Holocaust I play. I put it in the tabloids. Oh, my God. It was... It was Wait, um, this is worse than that Seinfeld episode. You jerked someone yes. off at a Holocaust yes. play? It was that woman from Angels in America in which she plays a, a Polish woman reading letters to her son from the Warsaw Ghetto. Holy crap. And it was so miserable and boring that I just reached over and gave him a handy I, in the I middle of the show. I can't look at you right now. I know. I'm a terrible person. Um, what's been the most magical... <laughs> Everyone's floored now. What's yeah. been the most magical moment you've ever experienced watching New York theater? Oh, gosh. Uh, there, there really are. There have been so many. Do you, do you, I, the one that pops to mind, because it was early-ish in my theater experience, probably, is I, I saw a, a production of Medea with Fiona Shaw on Broadway. Uh, and the moment when she... Spoiler, when she kills the kids... <laughs> Uh, she kills her own kids at the end of the show. It's and, a comedy. Yeah. Uh, and it was so devastating because these little kids, usually they're played by puppets or something or they're off stage. And <laughs> these were two little like actual kids that we had seen frolicking around throughout the show in their little tidy whities and things. And and she drags them back into the house and it's this white scrim and then there's this noise and then there's a splatter of blood that we get from onto the scrim and then the one of the, the other one runs out and she comes out and she drags him back in and then there's another and the, the the white noise that had gone on throughout this whole sequence cuts out and it's just the, the you know and you didn't want to jerk silence. off to that i did not somehow i kept it in that is really uh <laughs> it was so striking yeah. and my friend who i brought it to could not breathe she was gasping for air and she was <gasps> Yeah. <gasps> making huge noises and she's so mortified about the everyone and I was like oh no they're going to be so happy with you they're going to wow. they're going to go off stage and be like yes tonight we got it that is a moment yeah. um we've talked about you, earlier your role as a critic and how by nature you're going to piss some people off what's been the most extreme reaction you've ever gotten uh in response to something that you've written the most extreme response uh, like in person, or people have written maybe in person, maybe a, a letter or an email, or um, I get a lot of I get a lot of Twitter abuse. You know, you, I mean, honestly, I don't, I can't let it get to me. Um, I've had interesting exchanges from artists. Sometimes have have written to me. This isn't a fun answer, but they have. Sometimes you know we'll get into an exchange, and and it can be hostile at first. What I like is that the more you talk to people, and the more you both realize that the other person is a person. Uh, who is doing their job and trying to do the best they can. Usually those those arguments start out at a fever pitch and then they get more and more friendly and, uh, you know, or at least understanding and respectful. I mean, that's the ideal. It's harder to do that on social media um, where sometimes people will just do these drive-bys. And... Well, and also people, artists have to realize that art needs to be evaluated. It's, right. It can't, you can't, everything can't be great. Because if everything's great, then being great doesn't mean anything. Everything is And they may great. not agree with you, but it's it's your job, and I think you do it well, to give your honest opinion of, of your evaluation of the art. And uh, it's not personal, right? You're it's not, not trying personal. to— It's never personal. And I, and, and I think it's actually dangerous for everyone to go around saying that everything is great. I know that the we're all in a group hug moment right now, but this article, this article about the worst musicals was very popular. And not just because people are sadists. It's because I think we're so exhausted of the past two years of, of you know, mutual yeah. support and pretending that everything that's out there is good. It's not Is that all what's good. been happening? Well, <laughs> I feel it's, like it's been the opposite. No, but a, a, a lot of it has been sort of like, oh, I'm just so excited that everything's back and, oh, congratulations on your new company. And, and I understand where that's coming from and I share some of those feelings, but also – you got to be honest about things, and if you if you're not honest and you tell people that something's good and they go and it's bad, then they're they hate they, you and they hate you and they hate theater. Last question: If a musical were made about your life, what would the title be? <laughs> oh wow! I really should have listened to the, your show before. Yes, <laughs> I have a answer. suggestion. What should it be? Mustache rides the musical. I I will accept that. <laughs> Adam Feldman. <laughs> Timeout.com slash New York is how people can read your work. How can people follow you and possibly see some naked pictures of you online? Uh, not the latter, but the former can be accomplished. Uh, the easiest way is on Twitter. I'm, I'm Feldman Adam, which is my name, except with my last name first.
on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. We love having you. Thank you. Come uh, take me to shows whenever you have an extra ticket. I shall. Stephen JB, plug yourselves. Cub Mexi on Instagram and Steve Cesaro Medina on Facebook. Uh, at Stacking Anarchy 12, only on Instagram. Thank you both so much. Thank you to JJ and intern Andrew for joining us. I hope you'll be back again if you dare. Uh, we are back again next week with special guest Pixie Aventura, one of New York's drag superstars. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to order your ass merch at adamsank.com. See me in Wilton Manors, Florida, March 31st through April 3rd, naked with my boyfriend. Uh, information at adamsank.com. Follow me on Twitter and Insta at adamsank. Bye. Bye.